board. Though his pulse echoed in his ears, he felt nothing. Perhaps the house was empty. There was no sign of life in the windows. Knock then, Charlie, he said. And he took his hands from his pockets. Perhaps it was only a minute he stood there. Perhaps it was longer. But finally he knocked. Nothing happened. Just go, he told himself. There's nothing left here. He waited a moment longer. Come on, he said. The meter would be running out, and he had a long drive ahead. It doesn't matter. But as he turned to go, there was a sound from inside, a door banging. Then footsteps, dragging and slow, and somebody was turning a key in the lock. Dead trouble now, Charlie, he said. Slowly the door opened. The air from inside smelled of dust and cabbage. The old man smelled of something else. He wore slippers on his feet, and his trousers were hitched high above his belly. He looked at Charlie. What do you want? he said at last. Chapter One you came upon the pond quite suddenly, if you didn't know it was there. It lay in a dip of grass, like a sixpence in the palm of the hand, a ring of water that carried the sky in its eye. This day, at this time, it was busy. Ducks cruised in the green water, courted by children and their bags of stale bread. Pigeons crowded at the children's feet, hammering their heads for crumbs, their beaks worrying, disrespectful. Squatted at the pond's lip, several girls fished with nets in the shallows, and tricycles and scooters rode the gentle curve with all the speed their small riders could muster. Three or four boys sailed their boats. As always, there were people who took the pond in their stride, cresting the hill without that pause of pleasure. They had their sights set somewhere else, and the park was the fastest route to get there. At this hour, which was between three and four o'clock in the afternoon, there were only occasional figures like this, whose working costumes rested heavy and conspicuous on their shoulders as they passed by. They carried briefcases or important bags, and wore suits and shiny shoes and serious expressions. The women among them often found the wind tricky, and some blushed as their skirts played about, or wished for a moment for the harsh limits of their old utility clothes, which the wind couldn't toy with. So the women would walk even faster than the men to be gone and away, safely back indoors again. Sometimes something gave one of these brisk people pause, a broken heel or a friend. Very occasionally, one of them would stop to sit on a bench for a minute, Today a woman with a Gladstone bag and careful shoes checked her stride, though she didn't appear to have broken a heel, turned an ankle, or to know anyone. Sitting on the bench edge, bag beside her, she nodded politely to the old men with their talk of dirty carburettors, and they nodded in return. One of them thought to greet her by name, and then thought better of it, finding her head already turned away. The woman glanced about her, checked her watch, 
and then, coming to some decision with herself, she put the bag on the ground, leaned back into the municipal curve of wood, and looked at the pond. The breeze was whippy, and the boats were struggling, even with their sails trimmed right back. The woman watched. There was one especially that caught her eye. It had a white sail with the number 431 and a blue fish leaping, and it was flirting with disaster, heeled so far over that capsize seemed the only course. She looked across at the boys on the far side. She could see at once which one's boat this was. While the others ran and danced this way and that, chipping and jeering into the wind, their voices high and slight, willing their boats across, one boy stood quite still, his body keen and tight, with eyes only for the blue fish. He must be about ten years old.